It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. being silly and so do I is uh, there anything more fun than laughing is there anything more needed at a time when uh, you look in every direction and there's just tragedy after tragedy in the news is there anything more needed than appreciating some of the moments of levity well there is an entity in Jamestown, New York, which celebrates levity, comedy, and silliness in all of its forms. And if Jamestown sounds familiar, maybe it's because you're a minor league baseball fan and you were a fan of the Jamestown Jammers. But more likely, it's because it was the birthplace of one of the most famous comedians of all time. Hello, friends. I'm your body meat of Benjamin girl. Are you tired, run down, listless? Do you poop out at parties? Are you unpopular? The answer to all your problems is in this little bottle. A uh, little bottle. <laughs> uh, Vitamin Vegemin. Vitamin Vegemin contains vitamins, meats, vegetables, and minerals. Uh, yes, with Vitamin Vegemin, you can spoon your way to hell. I think uh, the mark of good comedy, in my view, is if you watch something five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, 40 years later, is it still funny? In my view, the I Love Lucy episode certainly passed that test. Uh, Here to tell us a little bit about what's going on at the National Comedy Center in Jamestown, New York, is Gary Hahn. He's the Vice President of Marketing and Communications. Gary, thanks for uh, getting up early for us. Appreciate it. Uh, My pleasure, Frank. Uh, Love being here. Gary, for people that uh, might be hearing about the National Comedy Center for the first time, and I'm embarrassed to say that I've never been there, what exactly is it? Yes, so we are, uh, as you said, a museum uh, devoted to the art form of comedy. We're essentially the Cooperstown of comedy or the Rock Hall of comedy. We're the nation's official cultural institution uh, dedicated to the art form, and you're right. We're we're based in in Lucille Ball's hometown. We also have the Lucy Desi Museum, which we run a few blocks away. Uh, but the National Comedy Center is a state of the art, uh, incredibly interactive, immersive museum. We're 37,000 square feet. 
of, of, of interactive exhibits, and we opened in August of 2018. Wow, so it's relatively new. And let's say you're a, a fan of I Love Lucy or, or Lucille Ball. Given the fact that Jamestown was her hometown, what um, are there any unique aspects of uh, Lucy's career or life or any interesting pieces of Lucy memorabilia that people can see if they go? Yes, uh, most of that is at the Lucy Desi Museum. Um, but we do have uh, a few things devoted to Lucy also in the National Comedy Center, including uh, one of her iconic polka dot blue dresses that she's known for. Lucy was quite the uh, uh, the fashionista of the time as well. So we, we, we do have that. We also, within the museum, you can put yourself into the iconic uh, chocolate factory scene. Oh, with Lucy and Ethel via a green screen experience, uh, you and your friends and family can put yourself in that scene and get a clip of that that uh, is emailed to you. Well, uh, so we have that as well. It, that's pretty neat. Now, the, the Lucy De- Desi Center, distance-wise, is it something that's sort of adjacent to the National Comedy Center? Is it up the block? Is it walking distance? Is it a short drive? How close are the two entities that's from a- one another? Three blocks away, uh, very much in walking distance. So uh, we, we we sell a dual admission ticket for, for both of those. And at the Lucy uh, Desi Museum, too, we have recreated sets uh, from I Love Lucy, you know, arguably the most iconic living room set in television history. And so you can get a picture on that set. You can uh, – you just played the Vitamita Vegemin uh, – a portion of that episode, you can actually recreate that at the Lucy Desi Museum as well. Um, and we have our Emmys and and a number of artifacts uh, from the show throughout the museum. So, How did the National Comedy Center and Museum come to be? Who's, uh, whose brainchild was it, and uh, how did it come to fruition? Well, there there were a number of people in, uh, in Jamestown that uh, that decided that you know that that the country needed a uh, a museum that celebrates comedy as an art form, and it really started with Lucille Ball herself, um, who when uh, some of the leaders in Jamestown uh, reached out to her in 1989 and said we want to do we want to create a museum and a festival devoted to you, um, she said at that time I'm very flattered. Um, but I would rather that you celebrate all of comedy, not just uh, my career, not just I Love Lucy. And that was in 1989. Sadly, she she passed away uh, a couple only a couple of months later. Mm. Um, and at that time, they did opt to proceed with the Lucy Desi Museum. We, they also created at that time a Lucille Ball Comedy Festival that celebrates. Uh, comedy every August around her birthday. We still put on that festival, um, which uh, not only honors I Love Lucy, but showcases uh, rising uh, stand-up comedians and some of the biggest comedians uh, in the country. So that festival still takes place uh, every August. But it took about uh, nearly 30 years um, to come up with the funding and the design and to build the National Comedy Center. Well, and, I can't uh, wait to uh, check it out. It sounds it sounds terrific. It, it looks great. 
In terms of uh, Lucille Ball and uh, Ricky Ricardo, now obviously February is the month where a lot of people are focused on romance because of Valentine's Day and everything. Obviously, the heart, which has become sort of a ubiquitous Valentine's Day casing for candies to a girlfriend or a wife, that was uh, so so synonymous with the show I Love Lucy. As far as you're concerned, and a guy in your position, I imagine, has had an opportunity to view a lot of comedy, good comedy, bad comedy, highbrow, lowbrow, every every manner of comedic engagement there is. What was it about the Lucy and Desi partnership, the comedic partnership, that worked so well? Well, it's a great question, and 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 you know, everyone I think tries to analyze why does it still hold up? Why is it? I think part of it is it is timeless comedy. I think um, um, both of them were were wonderful comedic actors. Uh, the writing, which uh, Lucy and Desi always credited, the writing staff uh, was incredible, and uh, um, it was just outstanding writing. Um, and the foursome, you know, Lucy, Desi, um, uh, Vivian Vance, and Bill Frawley, uh, it, it was just incredibly well cast. Um, and so that show really does hold up and, um, um, you know, we're, we, we love celebrating it and, and, uh, you see new generations of Lucy fans walking through both museums every day. Uh, um, often you have grandparents and parents who, uh, encourage their, their kids and grandkids, uh, to watch the show and it just uh, keeps on going. The uh, I read an article the other day that said that made an observation and they were trying to make a broader point, but they made an observation about how Lucy was probably the most iconic star in her era of television. But if you ask most people to name a film starring Lucille Ball, they would have a tough time doing so. Are there any great comedic Lucille Ball uh, films that people are missing out on? And if not, why do you think uh, she was not able to make that uh, transition to the world of cinema as others were? I think, you know, she she was a uh, a film actress before I Love Lucy. She did about, well, in her career, she did over 90 films. She did and, a great um, Marx Brothers film, I remember. Yes, yes. Um, I'm trying to remember which one, but yes, she did. Um, I, I think the films do hold up. I, I think part of it is just that, you know, she's so beloved as a TV star that I think a lot of times people do forget you. You know, there's a number of films with Bob Hope that I think are very strong. Mm. And um, Yours, Mine, and Ours, which was very, you know, t- toward the end of her film career, I think 1968 uh, with Henry Fonda, I think still holds up. Um incredibly well and even name uh the musical some people are are mixed as to whether she should have uh done name but i, I hear many people say it, it's one of their favorite hmm. uh, musical films and i did just look that mark brothers film up it was uh, it was room service okay got it I, I was talking right before you came on about carl reiner and if people are just tuning in we're talking with gary hahn he's the vice president of marketing for the national comedy center and i, I had seen and this was one of the reasons i was very eager to talk with you that um that there's a new carl reiner exhibit at the national comedy center i, I was alluding
alluding a little earlier in the program to the very, very funny bit that he would do with Mel Brooks, where he was the straight man and he would interview Mel Brooks, who would play the 2,000-year-old man. The Mayo Clinic has checked you out and said that you are 2,000. Sir, what has kept you alive for 2,000 years? When I'll go on an airplane, if I'll go on an airplane, I'll never sit in the first two seats or the last two seats from an airplane. You mean not sitting in the first two or the Fly last two seats the last two has seats. kept you alive? I don't understand that. Why? Has that because kept you alive? if the plane, unfortunately, should take a flop out from the sky, you're going to go down with it and break your foot. Right? <laughs> yes. But if, if the plane, as you say, flops out of the sky, everybody in all the seats will break their feet. I mean, at least. Yeah, let me amend that. Any seat is no good. In other words, you're afraid to fly in an airplane. On the nosy. <laughs> But what I did not know is that on February 25th, we're rapidly approaching the anniversary, um, Sid Caesar's Your Show of Shows, which obviously Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks were both a part of, debuted in 1950. And on that same date, uh, February 25th, in uh, uh, Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, many years later, obviously, actually won a grammar, a Grammy Award for their 2,000-year-old man in the year 2000 album. Tell us about this new Carl Reiner exhibit at the museum. What can people learn about Carl Reiner? What can they see? Absolutely. Well, Carl was uh, a founding advisor, advisory board member for the National Comedy Center. He believed in our mission. Uh, he, was, he was there for us uh, even before we opened. And so when we, you know, and, and, and Carl is just one of the giants. I mean, like see, Carl does go back to, as you mentioned, 1950 with Sid Caesar uh, as, as, as a performer and, and later a writer. And then, of course, created the Dick Van Dyke Show, uh, did four wonderful movies with, with Steve Martin uh, as a director and so much more. Um, so when Carl passed in June of uh, 2020, which was really at the height of COVID, um, you know, we really wanted to do something to celebrate Carl, to honor Carl. We started talking with the family, um, and ultimately we became the the recipient of the entire Carl Reiner archives. We also decided to name our entire archival department uh, in honor of Carl. So wow. um, so our, our archives and preservation department is called the Carl Reiner Archives and Preservation Department at the National Comedy Center. Um, and last July, uh, we had uh, uh, Carl's family, including uh, his children, Rob Reiner, uh, the director and actor, um, and uh, Annie Reiner and Lucas Reiner, his three kids, and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of other members of the family, come to the National Comedy Center. They, they cut the ribbon on, on the Carl Reiner exhibit. We, later that evening, we did a... a uh, a huge uh, event uh, where we interviewed them um, at Chautauqua Institution, which is uh, just about 20 minutes down the road from the Comedy Center here here uh, in Chautauqua County, New York. And uh, we opened that exhibit, and, and we were thrilled. And that, that allows you to take a very deep dive into Carl's career, um, you know, everything we mentioned. I mean, there's uh, his, his partnership and friendship with, uh, with Mel Brooks, uh, a deep dive into the Dick Van Dyke show, uh, his directing career, uh, and so much more. And, and one of the things that uh, uh, the CBS Sunday Morning uh, story also featured is we have the chairs that 
and, and the TV tables that Carl and Mel would sit in uh, every night. Mel would go over to Carl's house. Uh, this went on for at, at least uh, 15 years, I think even more, uh, especially after they both lost uh, their wives. And uh, they would watch TV together. They'd usually watch Jeopardy, and then they'd watch a, a classic movie together. And so we have those chairs there on display and forever uh, inside the collection of the National <laughs> Comedy Center. And, and it kind of really gets yeah, anyone who loves Carl and Mel, it gets you emotional. Just a- absolutely. I, I, uh, I'd re- I'm really eager to visit. Hey, uh, today is Groundhog Day, and for the last three decades, you have not been able to have a discussion about Groundhog Day without talking about the film with Bill Murray. If people are Bill Murray fans, uh, what can they enjoy at the, uh, at the National Comedy Center? Yes, well, we have uh, both Bill Murray and that movie is celebrated uh, all through various exhibits, and I think it's important to mention just how interactive uh, this museum is. So if we have a sketch and improv section, we have something called the Comedy Continuum, where Bill Murray in Groundhog Day is represented, which is a 60-foot video wall that basically shows the six degrees of separation uh, between artists and uh, creates kind of a web of connections and collaboration. So uh, Bill Murray is represented there as well as Groundhog Day as well. We have something called the Interactive Writer's Desk where you can actually uh, see a script um, that will will come up on this desk and you can see uh, the original script and you can follow along and see the the final movie in the case of Groundhog Day or uh, the movie MASH and uh, uh, things like that. And you can you can follow along and see what happened with, with the original script and see the changes they made as they were shooting and and kind of uh, compare and contrast and see what they what they did to kind of even make it funnier uh, during the shoot versus what was in the original wow. script. So uh, just a, a lot that we have. We have a, a whole uh, area devoted to late night comedy as well. Uh, we just opened a Johnny Carson uh, exhibit that's hosted by Jimmy Fallon as a hologram host. And that's a 30, 30 screens in our theater. And it's a deep dive into Johnny's Tonight Show. That's a 36-minute experience, which is a lot of fun as well. If I'm visiting the museum, which I hope to do very soon, how long would it take me if I really wanted to see everything? Uh, how long should I allocate for a visit there? Well, you can get a lot out of the National Comedy Center if you come for an hour or if you come for six. But I will say most people spend two and a half, three hours uh, at the Comedy Center. But they they honestly walk out, Frank, saying I could have done two, two and a half, three hours more. Wow. Uh, There's just so much content uh, throughout. You can also we also have something called comedy karaoke, by the way, where we will. Um, it's exactly as it sounds. Uh, you can get on stage just like music karaoke, and you can select from some of the greatest stand-up routines of all time, which show up on a screen in front of you, and you can perform that stand-up routine in front of friends and family. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, and that's fun, too. And and the Blue Room, I should mention, too. So, uh, you know, adult comedy, uncensored comedy, is an incredible, um, incredibly important part of the comedy story. So you... You take an if you're uh, of the right age, you take a uh, you take an elevator down to the blue room where we uh, do a deep dive into Richard Pryor and and uh, George Carlin and uh, Lenny Bruce 
and, uh, you know, roasts through, through the years, whether it's a Friars Club or a Comedy Central or Dean Martin roasts. And that's a really fun, fun aspect of this, too. But you got to be got to be 18 or above uh, to enjoy the Blue Room. Uh, well, no, I, it sounds like a blast. I can't wait to get there. Before I let you go, today is also the 86th birthday of Tommy Smothers. And I know that yes. the uh, Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour debuted on February 5th in 1967. There is still nothing quite like the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. Now, here's a controversial headline. Church split on birth control. Father, I realize you're a very liberal priest. In fact, I understand you've just gotten married. Yes. But how do you feel about the uh, the Pope and birth control? Oh, I may be married, but I'd never go against the Pope as far as birth control is concerned. Never. Uh-huh, never. But suppose you're, uh, you found your wife taking the pill. Well, I think I'd have to file for divorce. <laughs> That's George Carlin there as well. Um, you guys have a pretty impressive Smothers Brothers display. We do. We... Um... Um, we opened that, we have a display where we showcase, uh, uh, some of the iconic red, uh, uh, sports jackets that Tommy and Dick wore as well as, uh, their guitar and bass and some of the uh, correspondence between, uh, Tommy and president Johnson, uh, because, you know, they got into trouble now and then, um, uh, on the air, and uh, they cut the ribbon on that exhibit in the summer of 2019. They came to the National Comedy Center, which was really just such an honor to host them. And, you know, they they were before their time in so many ways. They actually, that year was the 50th anniversary of the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour getting uh, canceled, or Tommy would say, and more accurately, they got fired by CBS because they were essentially too outspoken about many things, including the war in Vietnam. And they kind of went crossways uh, with the Nixon administration, which was only a few months old at that point in 1969. And even though they were one of the you know highest rated shows on the air, uh, it was a little too much for CBS at the time, but they were oh, just a, you know, two years before Norman Lear started, uh, you know, producing shows like All in the Family, and you had kind of a a, a much more socially conscious uh, network television programming. But before all of that, was Tommy and Dick kind of leading the way. And right. and uh, but as as is true of many many innovators, um, uh, it, you know, it cost them their their show at the time. I- um, no, I mean, I can't wait to visit. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Gary, I know that um, before that you before you with the National Comedy Center, you spent some time with the Graceland Museum. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about Lisa Marie Presley's passing. Just curious, in your time there, did you have much of an opportunity to interact with her? And if you did, what was she like? Um, interacted with her a, a little bit. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an incredibly sad um thing to have happened with her so young. I mean, she was, she was, uh, very sweet, very smart. Um, um, really carried her, her father's legacy so well. And, uh, you know, all of great, you know, Graceland is just, is a wonderful place to visit and, and really does a wonderful job of honoring her father. Uh, and, and now I know we'll, we'll honor, 
uh, Lisa as well. It was uh, it was her birthday yesterday, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, would have would have been her fifty fifth. Um, if you've not been to Elvis Presley's Graceland, even if you're not an Elvis fan, you owe yourself. Uh, uh, you should visit because uh, it's it just it's an incredibly and if and and it's worth seeing that movie as well, which really does a wonderful job of portraying how yeah. how important Elvis Presley. I, was. I'm looking forward to seeing that as well, Gary. I enjoyed the conversation very much, and if people want to learn more about the National Comedy Center, not and they can't visit Jamestown, New York, I definitely encourage them to check out the website. It's comedycenter.org. Thank you, Gary. Thank you so much, Frank. Appreciate it. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.